0: Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we discuss topics across the Cisco portfolio to give you the insights you want and hopefully need. And before we get into it, I just want to drop a little plug: the twenty twenty one IT Blog Awards is now open for submissions, folks. If you own a technology blog, vlogger, podcast. I encourage you to submit into this year's competition. You have just a few days left, so don't delay. The submission period will close on Friday, December 3rd. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Today, we are talking about Cisco Crosswork Hierarchical Goal, (laughs) controller. Specifically, we're gonna uncover how it reduces complexity so you can deliver operational excellence. What does that mean? Our Cisco Champion hosts will help us uncover that answer. So let's get started with our customary introductions starting with our Cisco guests. Ori and Phil, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us more about yourself and your roles at Cisco?
1: Thank you, Uh, yeah, I'm Ori Gerstel. I'm a senior director at Cisco and uh, in charge of uh, um, integrating our hierarchical controller into the uh, Cisco portfolio.
2: Hi, uh, hi, Emily, my name is Phil Bedard. I'm a principal engineer here at Cisco and I primarily work on different uh, network architecture initiatives. Um, and one in particular that Ori and I are working on currently with router Optical Networking uh, is where we see a lot of integration between uh, the hierarchical controller and all the kind of existing uh,
0: Cisco products that we've got. Awesome. Well, thank you for being with us. All right. Let's get to know our Cisco champion host. Dave, I'm going to start with you. Who are you? What do you do?
3: How's it going? Dave Burns. I run our data center engineering team. I wear multiple hats here at Cox Communications. Uh, We're the third largest MSO in the U.S. and uh, my focus is on data center engineering and data center operations and trying to integrate them into uh, this new DevOps world as we evolve to a self-driven data center.
0: Sounds like a fun job.
3: It is exciting. Uh,
0: Kenny, tell us about yourself.
4: Thank you, Emily. My name is Kenny Paula. I'm a cybersecurity slash infrastructure security network engineer. I work for East Manufacturing. That's my day job. And my superhero job, or SAG, is as as an instructor. I teach um, Cisco classes in a local college here in my city, Pennsylvania. And I'm also an instructor for the University of Michigan. And that's who I am.
0: Wow. You are a busy guy.
4: I I try to be.
0: (laughs) Paul, I'm so happy to have you back. Tell us, who are you? Uh,
5: Paul Campbell, uh, CEO and founder and principal architect for Quaversal. We're a Cisco partner. Uh, My background also is in network architecture and design. Uh, I was an architect over there at Time Warner Cable for many years. So uh, very much looking forward to this topic and discussion and seeing where we go.
0: All right. Well, let's get into it. Um, I believe, Ori, can you give us a little bit of background and context before we dive into the conversation?
1: Sure. Uh, So, um, hierarchical control is a new technology that allows service providers to better understand, visualize, and control their networks. And uh, through this uh, combination of visualization and control, it uh, promises services that uh, can better meet stringent uh, service level agreements. Uh, So for example, low latency services. And these types of services are needed for for 5G and network slicing. Uh, The architecture is based on a hierarchy of controllers. So at the bottom, you have controllers that control individual domains. It could be an IP domain or an optical domain, perhaps microwave. And on top of that, there's a hierarchical controller or HCO, which kind of looks uh, talks to all these controllers and puts together a coherent view of the entire network at all its complexity, all its layers, and all its domains. Uh, the idea is that unlike uh, the past, where automation was a heavily uh, um, uh, heavily based on bespoke solutions and professional services. This new technology is about products uh, with standard interfaces between them to allow customers to build networks uh, more quickly and, uh, and uh, at, a, at a lower cost. Um, the, uh, the control of IP and optical together, so having both networks controlled together, uh, paves the way for uh, an, uh, uh, an easily uh, uh, controllable, highly available network that is hard to achieve today where you have silos, different people managing different parts of, uh, of the network. And this ties very nicely into uh, routed optical networking, which is a, a Cisco architecture that is all about uh, um, integrating uh, IP and optical networks together. And with hierarchical control, you can achieve also from a software and control perspective, very tight integration between those layers. So that's in a nutshell what this technology is about.
3: Awesome. Uh I guess we'll jump right in. Uh so or you talk about, you know, the evolution, you you mentioned SDN, you mentioned open standards, talk to our listeners and and us as, in the service provider space about uh how this really supports an open ecosystem, uh multiple vendors, etc. because that's really what as a service provider uh, like myself, we we really look to in a real world. I mean, we're not we don't have the luxury of having one vendor. Uh, though we would love to, but we're often pushed, and we do try to diversify with multiple vendors. How how does this system work, and what are your thoughts around that?
2: Yep, yeah, I can I can take that, Dave, and I'll, I'll try not to make this too too lengthy. But you know, in general, it all starts with the the framework uh, that all of these, as Ori said, we have domain specific controllers. Like one might be for optical networks, one might be for IP networks. Um, so we need a standardized framework in which all of those different components work together. Uh, The IETF uh, has one that they they call AC, it's part of the ACTN working group. Um, So ACTN actually stands for Action and Control of Traffic Engineer Networks, Uh, but they have a a loose framework that defines the different positions of these controllers, Uh, and that's what we're building, you know, our products, or we're building it to that framework or that specification. Uh, They don't really, uh, you know, specify the interfaces between each controller. They kind of leave that into the, the domain of the specific technology. Uh, but we're seeing a lot of advancement in that case as well, uh, especially in areas like optical. Uh, the transport API interface, which is defined by the ONF for Open Networking Foundation, uh, is really the de facto now API between, uh, say, a hierarchical controller and an optical domain controller. Uh, we've seen that adopted our own optical controller supports that, uh, which is Cisco, op- it's aptly named Cisco Optical Network Controller. Uh, as well as other uh, vendors as well. So we've seen that kind of come about. And then on the IP side, uh that things are still emerging a bit more. Uh, but we definitely have uh, I- IETF models that cover really uh, VPN services today um through like the L2NM and, and L3NM to cover L2 and L3 VPN services. Um so really, you know, we're trying to support these and, and also uh, you know push the industry uh, in this standardized direction. Uh, as Ori said, it's all about you know coming up with an easier, more seamless way to to integrate these different controllers together. Uh, so we need these open standards and, and open interfaces. Uh, and then we also have other uh, just to to talk about some of the other st- sort of standards bodies. There's the Telecom Infra Project. Uh, so we work with a lot of carriers that are part of that that are really pushing this type of SDN controller hierarchy. And as Ori said, they're really the ones that uh, they want to move away from all of these, you know, individual bespoke solutions that take a lot of time and, and effort and, and cost to deploy, uh, and really have everyone fit within this sort of homogenous framework. And that's uh, the tip, or you know, in the MUST group uh, especially that's that's pushing this uh, for IP and optical networks.
3: Yeah. So you raise these user groups. I think it's important to highlight to everybody that uh, ONUG. Uh, you mentioned uh, Open. Uh, which the other one that you were, o and Yeah, O&F, the Open Networking Foundation. Those, those groups are awesome. If you're not involved with them, go, go look them up online. I've found them quite compelling and actually have tagged a few engineers to look into it because our our industry contributions to those are what's going to help the rest of us get into this one standard or multiple standards in an API support model. So good call out on that, Phil. I agree.
2: Yeah, we definitely would like more folks to to be involved in in those user groups, um, and some of them, you know, specifically, are don't involve uh, vendors. Um, they're really pushed by the the service providers themselves. So, you know, we can always use more feedback, and we work very closely, obviously, with those groups and in implementing uh, their vision. And that's what we're 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 doing with these uh, specific products today.
4: Phil. You mentioned about um, the multi-vendor as the end controller, and that takes me, you know, to maybe my first question or well, the second question of the conversation, which is going to be a may, maybe a little technical. I'll try not to go that deep, but um, when it comes to the VPN standards and how this secure communication works between mail to vendor, how how does that be handled, and and also what's the difference between um, the cross hierarchical controller and the current SD-WAN technology that we have today?
1: Yeah, um, so, uh, the, uh, so I'll start from the uh, last part of your question. SD-WAN is, is a technology for enabling uh, VPN type services, but in an overlay without, without having to, to uh, configure the network. So it's kind of uh, done on top of, of an existing network without the uh, complexity of VPNs. And um, uh, on the other hand, hierarchical control is about controlling the network itself. It's, it's, uh, so if you will, sd one runs on top of a network uh, where the VPNs or the network itself can be managed through hierarchical control. There's actually some very interesting ideas. And not a lot of, of this has been done yet to, act, to actually extend the control of hierarchical control to also uh, control the end devices of sd one But that's kind of more of a, f- a future uh, direction. So these are really complementary technologies for inside the network, and at the periphery of of the of the network, uh, your second question or your first question rather was around uh, kind of uh, interaction between uh, different parts of a VPN in different domains, right? Yes. Actually, the, the, uh, so uh, this is something that uh, uh, the hierarchical control is somewhat agnostic to because the hierarchical controller is all about uh, telling the different domain controllers what they need to configure in their domains. Uh, you need to configure those three endpoints. The other controller may need to configure two other endpoints. But how those two networks talk to each other is the business of the of the domain controllers. It's less uh, the focus of the hierarchical control.
2: Yeah, and just to, to talk to talk about sort of the you know how they communicate between each other. Uh, we we've kind of landed on REST comp. So REST comp is sort of the de facto you know and typically you know it's HTTPS these days. So there is secure communication between the two. Um, but yeah, as far as how we, we do that type of secure communication, I think that's, you know, as far as encryption and passwords and things like that, those are, uh, kind of left up to the domain specific standards on how the, those interact. Um, I think we could use more detail, you know, standards wise on some of that. Um, uh, but it's obviously still evolving at this point.
5: So I have a question about, you know, when you look at the, um, framework and you're going through everything it's a lot of information, right? And Cisco's website has it out there on the collateral side. But the main thing that I would be curious about is on the rural broadband side. So a lot of our customers are rural ISPs. We're talking a you know, couple tens of thousands of customers, max usually, smaller. Um, stuff like this would be very powerful to them. Um, I'm curious, what would you describe the ideal operations team need in order to run this? Um, you know, look at something like uh, Cisco's NSO, which is a phenomenal product, um, but it is a little bit of a bear when trying to implement it with a small team, especially if they aren't programmers themselves. Um, from what I can tell, um, I'm going to call it CHC, <laughs> um, but it, it, it looks great. Um, I'm curious how much is plug and play versus how much is going to require a lot of wrench turning.
1: Yeah, That's a very good uh, question. Uh, indeed, the whole uh, uh, motivation behind this uh, this technology is to uh, reduce the need for uh, for customizations, uh, and that's, by the way, driven by the big guys, not necessarily by uh, not only by, by small service providers. Uh, you know, the uh, Vodafone's and the Telefonicas of the world. Uh, have a lot of opcos uh, and they want all these opcos to have uh, a somewhat standard way to control the network and they don't want each opco to have their own solution. So the standardization of the technology is actually coming or the need to have a uh, turnkey uh, solution of sorts comes from the big guys. So I think that technology will benefit both uh, big service providers and, and uh, small ones. Uh, one thing to watch out is uh, as long as you keep to the standards and you use uh, standard interfaces, you create standard types of uh, services, VPNs or layer one services, life is easy. Then you can use the products as is. Once you're trying to create your own specific variant of a VPN that's uh, not defined in a, in a standard, then it becomes of course harder and then you need to start uh, doing uh, programming. But if you can uh, uh, live with a fairly uh, a large set of standard uh, defined uh, services, then there's not a whole lot of programming that you need to do it's just installing the systems uh validating that they work together and um, and running your network
3: yeah paul you raise a good one cuz we don't think about the smaller rural uh network management and how those are done typically they don't have multiple teams they have one person that has multiple hats so have, when you uh, or when you talked about multiple domain controllers they might consolidate those. Are you seeing that as you talk to customers, like different, different spins of this same technology and solution?
1: Yes. So um, the uh, uh, the need for uh, multiple domain controllers typically comes from uh, 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 from a custom, a service provider that actually has multiple domains, different vendors. If you have a single uh, vendor, you know, for example, for your optical network, then, of course, you just need one controller for that, for that network. Uh, for the IP layer, uh, even for multiple uh, vendors, there's now a drive to have a single domain controller that controls different vendors. Because in the IP layer, it's a bit easier than, than in optical, right? The standards have been more evolved. So, for example, our uh, uh, IP controller, a CNC, uh, is uh is controlling uh, different different uh, vendors and uh, this is where the industry is going. So the idea is definitely to, to reduce the number of controllers. But sometimes if your network is complex, you have no no choice but to control different parts with different controllers.
2: Yeah, as already said, it's the controllers. You know, really are technology domain specific. Or if there are you know vendor proprietary ways, like often in optical networks, we'll see those. But as he said, you know, with CNC or Crosswork network controller, we're definitely trying to to make that something that could control, you know, any really standard IP router, uh, IP network.
1: By the way, to make it a bit confusing, notice that we're using CNC for the IP controller and CHC for the hierarchical controller, so.
2: There's a lot of Cs.
1: (laughs) Cs, yes. (laughs) Exactly.
5: Um, I have a follow-up question. Um, When looking at the migration, right, um, for routed optical networking as a part of this, at a high level, right? No commitments. But like, what are you all seeing as kind of the roadmap for this, right? Um, typically, when any new product comes out, you know, especially as a partner, right, we're always talking to our customers about the value add and uh, how long it could take to roll out. But this is a fairly big shift depending on where they are versus where they can get to with routed optical networking. What are you all seeing or projecting as like a timeline for someone to kind of start soup to nuts on this regardless of their size? Yeah, I think
2: especially like routed optical networking is, is, you know, it's sort of FCS now, you know, very recently. Um, And sort of where we see the customer journey on that, there's really sort of this kind of phased approach uh, of the initial step is typically putting these new DCO optics in the the routers. Um, But inherently, that becomes a a disaggregated optical network. Um, So you need some way to manage it. Um, That's where we are looking to introduce, you know, these tools kind of at the same time. Um, the lifecycle of that, you know, where do we see customers really having production raw networks? We have some folks, you know, deploying optics today. Uh, for most providers, we're probably still about six months to a year out from sort of widespread deployments of that. And uh, but the, the software is, is something we're trying to, to get ready at the, to, the, the same time. Um, it, and it's an interesting point about how we, you know, integrate that with potentially a, I don't want to call it legacy network. It's really what people have in the ground today and, um, and how we incorporate that into the same tools. Uh, that's where we do have to look at, you know, we talk a lot about open standards like transport API and things like that. But we also have to look at still supporting those those legacy tools uh, or legacy networks and incorporating them into some of the same tools. Um, so there will be integrations with, you know, your typical EMS, NMS systems as well, uh, because those are not going to go away anytime soon. And we do want people to be able to operate this kind of disaggregated raw network uh, through the seamless tool like the HCO. Um, So like you said, we can't, yeah, go ahead, Paul.
5: No, I was going to say, so to that point, right, uh, talking about all these tools, right, all these things, for anyone who's listening who might not know, is the hierarchical controller physical or is it virtual? Is it something I can throw in my own virtual environment or do I have to throw out like a catalyst box or something
2: oh it's definitely virtual so the uh the hco and this came you know from the acquisition of sedona um it's just a linux Linux linux-based application it can run uh obviously we have some requirements but i think it can run on uh, any sort of modern Ubuntu, centos distribution um so yeah it could be a vm
1: i I want to go back a little bit to the question on my migration because i think it's an interesting one and as we know uh, uh you know no network starts uh, from scratch, or very rarely do you get a network that you start greenfield and there's nothing there before. And the evolution path, uh, we as, as uh, when we're still Sedona, one of the main things that we've been focusing on is how to get customers uh, from a control plane perspective to evolve towards a fully automated, uh, fully controlled uh, network. And a lot of customers start very simple. They have a network, they don't have domain controllers, and, and they just want... Something that will tell them how the network looks like. I mean, a lot of customers, as funny as it might seem, most customers don't really understand the, the network. They they uh, they know they have stuff out there, but know how not how everything is connected and where traffic is going. So the first uh, step in the evolution is just putting a uh, you know the hierarchical controller, sometimes talking to devices directly or to management systems to whatever is there to just gain visibility into your network. And once you gain visibility, then a it's more obvious to you what's wrong in your network and what you need to fix. And B, it's a lot easier then to introduce more and more controllers and to start to actively control the network and not just uh, understanding and analyzing uh, what it is.
4: Okay, Um, Ori, and you you touch, um, you know, a little bit on, on, you know, one point of my my next question. Um, For the purpose of new users, and when I mean new users of this technology, I will include myself. can you define the the Greenfield and Brownfield deployments and what's the difference between them or, or what is Cisco recommendations when it comes to choosing one?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the, actually, uh, uh, it depends a little bit on the scope of what you're looking at. So Greenfield could be Greenfield uh, in terms of the the hardware itself. So uh, Phil mentioned earlier, you might have, you know, maybe an old uh, core network. You're trying to prov- uh, pro- to create a new core network to support your next generation, maybe 5G uh, traffic needs. And for that, you're going to buy new routers. And uh, with those new routers, you might uh, already buy the integrated WDM optics so that you don't need transponders and you can feed the signals directly from the ru- those routers into your either new or old optical networks. You could have a greenfield IP network on top of a brownfield existing optical network. You could have greenfield at both. And then finally, you could also, from a control perspective, start from either an existing control stack. You might have NSO, for example, already used for creating services in your network, or you don't really have a control, uh, a control structure to speak of. So this could be a, a greenfield deployment in terms of the control network, or it could be brownfield starting from an existing control stack to which you add more and more advanced control capabilities. So there's greenfield and brownfield at each layer. From as far as recommendation, we recommend that you do what is whatever is best for your evolution. There's no one solution here of obviously it's a lot easier, a lot cleaner if you start uh, from a clean slate and uh, and have a green field everything and then uh, life is easy and sometimes you, you you do get this especially with 5g deployments when there's so much new network being deployed uh, there's a lot of greenfield but uh, but if you have uh, a brownfield network that you're already happy with and you just want to augment this, our solution supports uh, that as well.
3: So the, the one thing that uh, I found uh, interesting about this whole concept of software-defined network, intent-based networking, we all we all want to see us get there, right? It's an evolution of how we manage these networks. We're, we're actually, to Paul's point, we don't have a lot of programmers that run networks. But I, I, I'm seeing that a little different now. I'm seeing that w- we're actually trying to move to a culture where we hire people, and engineers who understand networking and security, but have the capability of programming, uh, almost like a network programmable engineers. So I'm curious, Ori and, and, and Phil, you know, what are you seeing when you talk to customers? Are you starting to see this culture shift as well?
2: Yeah, I think it's you know it's an evolution that's been happening over the last you know ten years. I guess starting with the web, the web folks really or the the web skill uh, providers. <clears throat> um, but no, we definitely see it everywhere uh, where there's. You know, more asked for uh, this sort of net DevOps type of person to, to work on networks today. Uh, I will say just in the landscape, you know, of what I see it, providers, you know, many are still, you know, using the same methods to to manage networks that they did 10 years ago. I think it's a, it's a slow progression it starts with things like visibility. It starts with, you know, monitoring, getting, you know, data out of the network. Um, I think, you know, the actual, like, like Ori said, the, the control piece of it, um, you know, comes a lot of times down to, you know, uh, like service abstraction and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, from a, a everyone having, employing programmers versus guys that they use CLI, that I think we're kind of in the middle of that transition still. And I think we'll, we'll continue to be there. Um, And the idea is to have tools and frameworks that are open enough to to support both. Uh, I think especially on like the data reporting visibility part of it. Uh, One thing when I, you know, use the HCO tool more often is they have a pretty powerful uh, query language that they developed to extract data out of the tools. Um, So people that want to build their own scripts and tools, they can interface with that. Um, So if there's specific reporting they need to do that's outside the scope of like a canned application. Uh, they're they're free to build that, um, so I think that's that's sort of the stepping stone or the first part is is just getting you know reporting and data extraction those types of things. Um, but a lot of the programming, like I said, as we move more towards these standards based ways of doing things, uh, it maybe becomes a little you know less uh, important if you if you start to migrate to that for for some service providers uh, versus someone you know building their own configuration system out of Python and Ansible and uh, scripts like that of that nature. Like Ori said, I think we've, we've seen providers get in a lot of trouble with that uh, where they do try to build these uh, very complex systems that are kind of DIY or home-built. And we see some that are very successful. We see probably just as many that are fairly expensive failures. So I think that's it's kind of where we're at. It's still evolving landscape. I think that was kind of a, a long-winded answer. Um, but uh, to be honest, we're you know here to sort of support both we've got you know open standards in the routers so if you want to go directly to a router to do whatever you need to do that's that's fine we'll support the open standards to do that um and then you know uh, if you want something that's more sort of product based kind of cookie cutter to to lessen that burden then we can we could do that as well
5: yeah so to so to that point a little bit of levity right if i think for every engineer either on the uh podcast right now or listening it's 2021 and it's it's a better way than just having a config you've used for 10 years on a notepad. I'm just going to throw that out there. The whole point of the controller side, right, is something that I think at least in the service provider space has been greatly wanted. Um, As you see, obviously Meraki is huge. You had Cisco ACI, Um, you had DNA center, right? All of these things started really simplifying and making things easier and better for the organization. While you still need architects to help truly understand and design and configure everything up top right you want to get to the point where you can say hey I need to roll out this service boom right let me go and I would I would uh, I would ask you guys at Cisco could you elaborate any more on perhaps some of the benefits from the GUI side of some of the things and it could be personal anecdotal that's fine just something that is extremely valuable to you and something that you can say oh yeah I can now point and click this and it saves me 20 man hours a week something like that Um, I think about like the ability to roll out, um, you know, VPLS instances or something like that for an ISP that's constantly spinning up new business clients all over the place, interconnecting offices. These are things that um, a lot of rural customers that we deal with are still basically going, yep, I've got the template over here on a share file and you know, I'm going to roll this out and it works. The thing is just how much time does that take? Is there a better way we can do this that could also integrate in with our monitoring for, Understanding and troubleshooting and visibility. So long-winded question.
1: Actually, I wanna I wanna start with the first part of your question. I think you raised a very good point. Um, I think it's less about you know uh, you know some customers not wanting programmability and others wanting programmability. It's more about enabling f- people that uh, that do want programmability to do it, to ma- to program it with a lot more ease. Use uh, higher-level abstractions. It's like moving from assembler to, uh, you know, the latest uh, uh, programming language of your choice. It's, you don't have to deal now with you know all kinds of little nitty-gritty details that you have to program. We just tell the system, okay, create this service with these parameters, and boom, it, it happens. So it's enabling programming, but uh, in, but a lot more easily than, than in the past. On the UI front, um, there's actually, uh, you know, you kind of... Uh, alluded to uh, UI for uh, uh, for creating services, but there's actually, I wanna start with some, highlight something else, which is, uh, can how important is the UI from an assurance analytics visualization perspective? Um, a lot of customers that uh, uh, we go to with uh, Netfusion, we show it's nice uh, 3D uh, user interface that you can kind of uh, rotate and understand how layers relate to each other. And we show them, here's your service, an important bank between two uh, sides and and uh, here's how that service is routed over routers and here's how each router link goes over optical links and by the way if you give give us the actual physical route of the fiber in the ground how it goes across different streets and uh, goes into tunnels and what have you we can show you how the working path of that service and the protect path actually choose physically diverse routes in the network and and typically we show this to uh to the customer and they lean forward and say you can do what i mean for us it would take I don't know how many days to analyze what you're just now showing me intuitively here on a user interface. So it's kind of that, making that difference, which to me is part of the satisfaction of, of, of creating this, uh, uh, this uh, system. Really bind, taking a lot of information from these different sources and showing it in a, in a way that's totally intuitive and easy for customers to understand. Yeah,
2: I think that's that's one of the key things. Is, and it's not that somebody... You know, at some point, somebody's programming all of that. The logic is in an application or in a tool, but we're providing a lot of that, you know, for you to do things like root cause analysis, um, you know, because we see a lot of common provider concerns. So we're going to build automation to to fit those concerns. Um, so I think that's a sort of, the, you know, the key thing of what we're trying to do, like an HCO tool. Um, and I think the one place where, you know, IP and optical is really where we, you know, that's differentiate what that could do versus a lot of other tools is being able to combine those into a, a single visualization, single sort of management tool. That's
4: cool. Um we know, you know, security is a big topic and the, the natural progression of most systems is, you know, to to be more secure when it to be more secure over time. So can you please can you talk about the micro segmentation and network slicing and all those security features and isolation?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of micro subcondition, obviously, you know, think there's things at the platform level that where that's happening at the network level with, with slicing. Yeah. Slicing is all about isolation and, uh, you know, adhering to specific SLAs for specific slices to solve like a specific business need. Um, and, and yeah. And the idea is, you know, we're, we're, you know, from a security point of view is, is also to, to take a look at sort of 5G control plane traffic versus user plane traffic. You know, those might go into different slices that have different, you know, QoS parameters, uh, like I said, different SLAs around even bandwidth that you're trying to to enforce. But yeah, we're, we're doing that sort of the IP layer of security separation. Um, so, you know, we're not doing anything inherently in the network or in the controllers per se. The controllers are really there to to manage that and, and monitor to make sure that we're not uh, sort of violating those and to help people manage manage those slices. Um so I think that's the way we're we're looking to and, and I don't know that I would call it micro segmentation like we do see at a data center or network where we're almost like a flow level based uh security policies. Um we are doing some things in other areas like segment routing and things like that where that comes into play a bit more uh comes more into play where we can do things like uh you know putting flows into specific slices based off some five tuple header information. And then we'll use tools like the HCO, you know, the domain controller itself will will monitor that, but then that data ends up, you know, funneling up to the, the HCO. Um, so it kind of gives that single pane of glass. And obviously, these are things that we're working on that's not in the tool today. And to be honest, we don't have, see too many slicing deploy, deployments yet, but you know, we're building the framework and we're building the, the stack to, to support that when it uh, when it comes. Uh, Ori, I don't know if you had anything to, to add there.
3: Yeah, I think it's interesting that the evolution of, to your point on security, of not only as developers, as network engineers, but also we're actually putting a level of trust in the platform and security owners or the uh, application owners. And so we got to build a little bit of trust, but verify into our networks. We're enabling all these services, but now we're kind of opening the can for them to to do more damage to themselves uh, if if we're not careful.
2: Yeah, security and and yeah, especially um, you know causing problems and outages. I think we see it a lot of time. Automation is is great at automating you know great things, but it's also good at automating bad things. So I think that's uh, that's definitely something we have to keep keep in mind when we build these services and build these abstractions. Uh, but that is something that we we get with tools like the HCO. Like uh, I think Ori said, the idea is you know to abstract a, a certain level. I, I need this service from A to Z um and we really do look at the h c o is is really and the domain controllers are really part of the network you know they're kind of live entities they're sort of real time updated with network topology and information and uh so like things like not violating you know shared risk groups or s r. l. g s those are things that are being enforced by the the h c o and the logic inside that tool um to make sure that users don't do things that you know potentially violate you build all of those safeguards into the, the services, into the tools so that you abstract them, uh, and then you take all of that sort of control away from the user. Uh, but to be honest, the machine's probably better at uh, doing those things anyways.
1: By the way, just just to add on this, uh, there's the security, the way we look at it, uh, kind of protecting from, from hackers or, or whatnot, but then there's the physical security. Uh, you know, somebody uh, uh, blowing up a... Uh, a transmission facility, or or even accidentally somebody plowing through a cable because there's construction, and and those things are actually helped by hierarchical control because uh, again the fact that we have visibility down to the physical layout of the fiber in the ground means that that we can ensure that the uh, that services are, are truly diverse so that if something bad happens in some geographical area, it doesn't affect the uh, backup path of of the same service. Uh, sadly, today, this could also be fires or or storms or, you know, uh, things that more and more affect our, our planet and, and being able to ensure true physical diversity helps with those as well.
0: All right. Well, there you have it. Another fantastic episode on the books. Thank you for joining us and listening in today. If you want to learn more about today's topic, check out the link in the description below. And of course, I always have to remind you, you could subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.